welcome to Splash of Cinema. I'm your host, John. I'm Pete. And uh, we're going to get into it today on some more 2020, fi- 2020 films and some upcoming projects we're also excited for. This is going to be a pretty big episode because we're going to try to take care of some of the last big awards contenders that have already come out to this day. Uh, and certainly, I mean, we haven't seen every movie that's come out in 2020, uh, but the, the big ones approaching award season, uh, we're definitely going to cover for you. We also have some foreign ones for you uh, that are kind of under the surface at this point. We're going to give you outlets to find these. And even if they're not available for streaming, uh, please email splashofcinemapod at gmail.com and uh, we can hook you up with a service uh, where we watch these. So yeah, let's get into it. I'm super excited for this episode. Yeah, me too. And that also brings me to another point, which is what I'm excited for that I've recently seen. On Lights, Camera, Barstool, I just saw the one-minute video that Warner Brothers released with um, HBO showing like two, three-second clips from uh, all the movies that they're releasing this year. And there's just so many projects I'm excited for. I think really Warner Brothers and HBO take the take the movie scene this year. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I mean, HBO, ever since they were even on uh, cable television, uh, they were, I mean, they've been so dominant. They produce great stuff, even in the TV realm, too. Uh, I know Euphoria Season 2 came out. Uh, I need to get on that. Uh, But, I mean, one of my favorite shows is an HBO original. It's called Succession. Uh, It's pretty much just uh, the real-life story of Murdoch and, uh, like, these big media conglomerates. And uh, I mean, just the writing for it is insane. Uh, the characters, the acting, very acting, script heavy. Uh, just a great show that I think more people should see. Uh, it actually won a Golden Globe last year. Uh, but yeah, I mean, H- HBO, they're insane. Uh, they produce the best stuff. Uh, and I mean, their their service, HBO Max, is more expensive than, uh, say, Netflix or Hulu or Showtime. But you do get a lot more stuff. I mean, they had Joker on there, uh, I want to say like five months after it released. Uh, So, you know, they do have contracts with certain production companies like Warner Brothers, uh, and they just produce great stuff as well uh, themselves. So, I mean, HBO is definitely at the top of the game right now. Yeah, that's uh, that's your little plug for HBOP. I will definitely consider that just at least for this year because of how much stuff is coming out. and I think their first big film to come out is going to be Judas and the Black Messiah, uh, which premieres at Sundance on February 1st, but also releases to theaters and on HBO, I think, February 15th or 12th. And then The Little Things also comes out this month, right? Yep, yep. The Little Things, I believe, is January 27th. So, I mean, that's that's really approaching. I think it's coming out this next Friday. It might not be the 27th, but just this next Friday. Uh, that movie looks insane. Uh, I mean, Denzel Washington, Jared Leto, Rami Malek, three Oscar winners going at it. Uh, I'm sure the story is going to be great or else they wouldn't do that project. And I mean, Jared Leto is someone who we haven't really seen for a few years uh, in some films, but I mean, he's, he's fantastic. Uh, as well as Rami Malek. Uh, he's really on the rise. He's going to be the villain in no time to die. The new James Bond movie. Uh, and I mean, we all know Denzel Washington. He's he's amazing. Uh, the trailer for that is so suspenseful. And that's one that I'm really looking forward to for sure. Yeah. And, and that's just a detective kind of crime drama. And that's not normally the type of film that gets any love from the Academy. It'll be interesting to see, though, 
I mean, when you think about it, you have in that movie two best actor winners and one best supporting actor winner. And those are the three big men in the movie. And they're going to, I'm sure, carry the suspense and all this stuff. Just the trailer was super kind of creepy, but also dynamic. Um, and that looked really good. And then in Judas and the Black Messiah, I imagine Daniel Kalu- Kaluuya is going to get a best supporting actor nod. That's at least what I've heard from the critical community. Um, that looks like a very impassioned project and, and maybe another like social justice movie that needs to be seen. Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially this year, we've seen so many of them. Uh, We're actually going to cover one later in the episode, uh, One Night in Miami. But yeah, a lot of those movies are coming out. Uh, And, you know, Daniel Cayula, he's such a great actor. Again, he already has an Academy Award nomination uh, under his belt for a movie that was really based on like the script, what really carried that movie and the story. But uh, I mean, he really performed in Get Out. Uh, I think he's a fantastic actor, and I'm so excited to see what he does uh, playing Fred Hampton, who is was this really polarizing figure of the civil rights movement in America. And, you know, just the story behind that is super interesting, and I, I'm super excited for this movie. Uh, it's definitely top five ones that I'm looking forward to of 2021 for sure. Yeah, I would totally agree with you, Pete. Um, and I just wanted to touch on some more hbo warner brothers projects we're excited for in the animated realm um space jam the sequel is coming out with lebron james which has been hyped for years now um and on top of that they're making a tom and jerry movie which should be should be kind of interesting i really like that show so i would hope that the movie's really good as well yeah yeah i mean tom and jerry is something that i i've always watched you know i've watched it since i was a kid and you know the I like how they're staying with that same animation style too. Uh, oftentimes when you get some animation stuff, uh, I know with SpongeBob, that was a big one uh, with the latest movie. I forget when it came out, it came out a few years ago, but the animation was just so much different than the original SpongeBob. Uh, and you know, that can kind of detract sometimes again, SpongeBob isn't like the most critically acclaimed stuff. Of course uh, it's just good humor, but uh, yeah, I think I, yeah, I think sometimes uh, studios do, kind of ruin animated stuff uh actually we're going to cover one later in the episode that i think did that uh but yeah i i'm excited uh space jam is another one man uh i'm a big basketball fan i know we both are uh we follow the nba pretty tightly and uh you know that movie is also going to have stars like anthony davis in it Uh, i'm not sure if durant's making an appearance but there's going to be some other a-list uh NBA current players in it, uh, which I'm super excited for. And, you know, uh, the whole story behind Space Jam with MJ, like how how he was still playing, there's definitely going to be a parallel with that with LeBron. And, you know, depending on the success of the movie, maybe uh, it can establish who the real goat is. So I'm just seeing here. Yeah. um, AD, Kyrie, obviously, those are the two guys that have been kind of LeBron's wingman over the years. Uh, Clay Thompson, which is kind of cool. Um, we'll see. He's he's hurt right now, so I wonder if if he already filmed, or um, if he has any more to do. And then Damian Lillard, which should be funny. And then Glab- uh, Gabriel Iglesias is in that. Don Cheadle. It, it's a pretty good cast for you know what's typically seen as you know not like a movie movie, just kind of like a basketball showcase. Um, and then on top of that. Some other HBO projects, just the last two that I was excited for that I want to mention now are um, In the Heights, which I previously mentioned in an episode, Lin-Manuel Miranda's 
musical is coming to the big screen, um, which should be really exciting. And then uh, The Matrix, which Pete could probably talk about. That that cast is loaded. Like you were saying, In the Heights, uh, I'm a musical guy. I love musicals. And uh, In the Heights was actually Lin-Manuel Miranda's first musical before, not his first musical, but his most successful musical before Hamilton. It actually won the Tony for best musical in 2009. And like Hamilton, it implements rap music into it. Uh, And the spectacle for that movie looks crazy uh, just by the trailer, because this was one that was pushed back. Uh, Its initial release was going to be in 2020, but then Warner Brothers hopped on and said, Hey, let's just release release it on HBO max, uh, which is smart. You know, uh, It'll definitely make a lot of money. And In the Heights is definitely a cult musical. People love it. Uh, And Anthony Ramos is taking the lead. Uh, That's another actor who's uh, on the rise currently. He was actually in the original cast of Hamilton. He's played the lead character in In the Heights in a DC workshop at the Kennedy Center. And uh, he he was in A Star is Born as well. Uh, You'd probably recognize him if you saw him. He's also in a Crown Royal commercial that's usually on TV. Oh, yeah. I'm super excited to see that movie. Uh, Corey Hawkins is in that as well, uh, as well as uh, Senator Amidala, uh, Leia's dad in the in the uh, prequel trilogy. Uh, I forget his name, but he's in it as well. And Lin Manuel Miranda is in it as well in a featured role. But yeah, that's another one that I'm super excited for. Oh, The Matrix, The Matrix, right? This uh, this is one that has been looked forward to for a while. The Matrix. Yaya Abdul-Mateen, man. I mean, that looks exciting. Uh, he, I, be, I believe he does have a contract with HBO. Uh, he was in the series Watchmen, which was, in my opinion, the TV event of 2019. Uh, fantastic show. Uh, but So Yaya Abdul-Mateen, Keanu Reeves is reprising his role as Neo. Uh, we're going to get introduced to some more characters. Uh, Neil Patrick Harris... Jonathan Groff, the voice of Kristoff from Frozen. He's another Broadway guy. Priyanka Chopra, Nick Jonas's wife. Uh, so there's some big names in this. And uh, I'm, excited, I'm excited to see where it goes. Uh, so it is staying in the same franchise, which is important to note. Uh, the Matrix, just highly successful movie. Super ambitious at the time. And really implemented a lot of CG stuff that we still see now. So, you know, maybe they can expand upon it going into the new decade. Hopefully, it's definitely a hard movie to make a, another one about and kind of follow up on just because it was so critically successful. Oftentimes, you might just want to leave those alone. But I think this is definitely a bid for them to make some money. And based on the cast, I would say they're definitely trying to make it a, a really good film. Um, but just in general, this this is definitely HBO and Warner Brothers year just because they waited to, to, to put out their movies in lieu of releasing some in 2020 really all these big projects that were billed for 2020 like tom and jerry dune are were all pushed to 2021 so now you have this huge number of, of really really lauded films that should come out um on hbo in 2021 and that's why i think this is their year they ha- they kind of have two years of movies stacked into one um instead of like Netflix who who ended up releasing a lot of their movies in 2020. So this should be a really good year for that. Yeah, and not only that, I mean they're not really like they're they're transversing a lot of genres here too. Uh like you said Space Jam. Actually the title of it is Space Jam a New Legacy. So uh it does have a title at this point. Uh so I mean they're working animated, they're working drama, 
uh, I'm sure they'll implement some comedy in there. Uh, and I know a Mortal Kombat movie is coming out as well. Uh, the highly successful video game. Uh, so they're working into action fantasy. I mean, they're, they're going to do it all. Like you said, with Dune, uh, I think that's going to be the biggest box office hit of 2021. Uh, just with stuff that's come out. Uh, that's a highly anticipated film. So HBO and Warner brothers props. I mean, they're going to re- receive a influx of money and as they should, I mean, if, if you're listening to this and you have some money to spend and you, you want to watch quality stuff, I'd suggest getting a HBO Max subscription for uh, 2021. Again, it's a little more expensive uh, than your other streaming services, but uh, you get a ton of movies and even old stuff too as well that goes in and out. Uh, Like I said, Joker's on there. I believe Chinatown's on there. Just some classics are on HBO Max and their catalog on the app is insane and they have so much stuff. So uh, just invest the money if you have it, I guess. Yeah. I, I would completely agree with you, at least for the year. Um, which brings me to another streaming service that I've invested money in and, and one of their recent projects, which is a little controversial just because of how the project has played out so far, but still overall receives highly positive ratings and um, I think has done an, a really interesting new thing for Marvel, and that is WandaVision, which is styled as kind of a 1950s sitcom and and stars Wanda Maximoff and Vision, two of the iconic Marvel heroes from the Avengers movies. And they're kind of like a married couple living together in a suburb trying to fit in. So it's definitely uh, playing into the comedy role that that Marvel likes to play so much instead of like rather the superhero-y stuff. Although there is some supernatural elements to the show. Um, That show so far, three episodes have come out. What What do you think, Pete? Starting off with the first uh, live action series that Marvel's releasing on Disney Plus, I mean, obviously they have Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and some other stuff that's kind of on network TV, but just on Disney Plus, I think it's pretty ambitious uh, just because this, like you said, this is different from uh, most Marvel stuff. It's focusing on two characters. It's more of like a familial thing, Uh, but there's definitely some stuff under the surface there that is going to be uncovered. I mean, this, this, the first season is only seven episodes, uh, which is important to note. So, I mean, the first three have been, I mean, I like them a lot. It's very exposition, kind of asking questions throughout, but I think they're really going to get into the meat of it. And uh, I'm super excited for the next four episodes. Uh, But yeah, like you said, it's very different from what Marvel's doing. And I mean, if you're looking for, sort of the big explosions, Infinity War, Endgame. Uh, This is very different. Uh, It's definitely a deep cut Marvel thing, uh, taking stuff from comics. And I think it's a property that starting off with is a little ambitious by Marvel. But I mean, they're developing more and more series uh, coming out in this year as well as next year and years to come. But yeah, I think it's pretty ambitious. But so far, I enjoy it. It's a good watch. Yeah, I I agree with you. I'm a sucker for for Marvel in general. so. Although it is ambitious and a little kind of weird, um, they keep releasing episodes. I'll keep watching them. And it, it is gearing towards, I think, something special at the end of this season here. Um, like the movie, there, the show is just kind of rapidly accelerating. It's not really, it hasn't really had a slow episode yet. They're all kind of, the first three at least, are all building a lot in what's going to be the show's plot line, I think, which is cool. Yeah, and it's also uh, sitcom length as well. Uh, episodes are about 30 minutes. Yeah, definitely manageable. 
Yeah, definitely an easy watch. Uh, and I like how they're kind of coining to other shows. I know episode three, the opening, it was the font for the Brady Bunch. Uh, so they're kind of working their way through time with these sitcoms. And uh, I mean, there's definitely a point to that. Uh, this is a very Easter egg heavy show. And I'm sure if you look for stuff, uh, which I already have, and I've done like not a deep analysis, but I've analyzed some of the elements that I've seen on screen. And uh, it definitely plays into the comics and stuff. And I did a little research and there's a lot of stuff already in the first three episodes. That's huge. And some of the characters are big and even the story around it and the canonical path of Wanda and vision uh, it's staying pretty truthful. And I like how they're putting it into this new setting, uh, kind of working through time. I think that's interesting because, you know, it is an alternate dimension. That's the thing. That's the show. And uh, just seeing where that goes, it's going to be super interesting. That is 2021's WandaVision, and it's one of Disney Plus's big projects. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, check it out. Maybe let us know what you guys think, um, which brings us to our movies that we're going to talk about today. We have a big slate of 2020 movies. Um, all but one of them should probably be awards contenders in at least one category. Uh, and we just wanted to kind of take care of some of the big 2020 projects left. So that, that brings us to the start, which is another round, our hidden gem of the week. Um, another round is a foreign film. It, it's from uh, Denmark, stars Mads Mikkelsen, directed by Thomas Vinterberg. And the plot is four friends, all high school teachers, test a theory that they will improve their lives by maintaining a constant level of alcohol in their blood, um, which is kind of a really cool idea that I don't think has been explored yet. And and this film plays that out to the fullest. Uh, another round was was awesome and should win for best foreign feature. I was I was a big fan. And Mads Mikkelsen, Mads Mikkelsen was was amazing in his role. Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think he does carry the movie, Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, but I mean, this, the other actors in this, uh, I believe their names are Thomas Bo Larson, Lars Ranth, Magnus Milling. Uh, they also do well. They have great chemistry. Uh, it's a great story as well. Uh, it really focuses on every character and the people that this drinking impacts. And I mean, it does show the highs of drinking, you know, they're drunk, they, they're having fun, but it also shows the lows and uh, not to spoil anything, but it, this movie does get pretty crazy and pretty real. Uh, I will say it's, it's also a movie that I don't really think you can classify a genre to. Uh, it has a lot of comedy. There's some heavy dramatic moments. Uh, and I, I just liked how very real and grounded this movie felt. Uh, again, a great script uh, by Thomas Vinterberg, a very popular Danish director. Uh, he's directed this movie, The Hunt, which receives a lot of critical acclaim. Mads Mikkelsen is in that as well. Uh, and, you know, it, during the movie, I it really felt like the actors were drunk. Uh, just their acting drunk, I thought that was really great. Uh, sometimes they butcher it a little. Uh, but yeah, I'll, I mean, this is definitely a top movie for me of 2020 uh, definitely hidden as well uh, coming out of Denmark. Uh, not a lot of Americans don't really watch foreign features. And if they do, I mean, you saw it with parasite last year uh, when they do uh, you see the pop the popularity it gets, but something like another round uh, it was very popular on critical apps like Letterboxd. It was very popular, but you know, if you ask a normal person about this, they're not going to know what it is, but 
you should definitely watch it. It's great. Yeah. Um, just to touch on what you said there, Pete, I think the chemistry between those actors was phenomenal and, and it's some of the best on screen chemistry I've ever seen. Uh, I'm sure maybe in real life, the actors are all good friends and maybe drink together. It just seemed like that. Um, nothing felt forced. And, and the portrayal of the, the drunkenness was really, it was more realistic than anything else out there. It didn't, it didn't really glorify it rather than just showing the highs of drinking, which, which in, in my opinion was pretty accurate. And and the lows were accurate as well. Um, it showed the whole spectrum. And I think it culminated to something as they start drinking more and more, you can kind of see it going in, in a, in a certain direction. Um, and so in that way, the film was always exciting and it was, it was a little suspenseful in a sense, just cause you didn't know what was going to happen next. Where was the next drunken outburst coming from? What was the next grand thing that they were going to do based on their alcohol consumption levels? Um, and and so in that way it was a great film and and foreign films yeah Americans don't really touch on them very much, um, it is just one category at the Academy Awards but but foreign films combined if you combine all the films that come out in other countries versus the films that come out in USA there are more from the other countries combined so so there's definitely some good movies out there every year from foreign films and and in this case I would say the subtitles didn't take that much away just because. They wanted this film to reach an American audience. So, of course, the film is kind of played out so that Americans can appreciate it as well. And I really enjoyed that. Um, another round was was definitely one of the best of 2020 and, and should be a lock for best foreign film this year. Uh, and it's Vinterberg's first first. Uh, it's going to be Vinterberg's first nomination for that Academy Award since The Hunt in 2013. Um, and, and a Danish film hasn't won since 2010, so so this could be an exciting year for Denmark cinema. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I will say though, uh, some of the some of the elements in this film, uh, kind of what they said and what they talked about, I wasn't really sure on. Uh, obviously, I'm, we're not Danish, uh, but one of my good friends actually studied abroad there in high school, and he watched the film as well. He loved it, and you know, I I kind of had to ask him at times, uh, like like there's this big trip that. Uh, the high schoolers take once they graduate and he said yeah like that's real uh so i think seeing that is super cool uh you get to see education in a different country uh not just america and you know i i loved another round i can't stress enough top five film of 2020 for me yes i I would completely agree with you pete um it was just a great movie great performances and and it definitely deserves some love it's it's one of the best of 2020 and one of the best foreign films I've seen in a while. Obviously we had parasite last year, so it's pretty hard to top that in terms of critical acclaim and popular success. Um, this film definitely won't eclipse that in either of those respective categories, but, but nonetheless in a, in 2020, which was a generally a weak year for movies, that another great foreign film was put out that, that in any other year I would, I would say would be a nominee once again for best foreign film. Yeah, uh, another foreign film that came out last year, uh, A Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, awesome movie. Yeah, that was one that didn't, that was one that didn't even get uh, an Academy Award nomination, which is insane. Uh, I arguably, I, I I don't want to call it better than Parasite, just because I think. Ooh, I will. I'll call it better than Parasite. <laughs> uh, 
Okay. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, just the tension in that movie. Uh, we don't really want to cover it just because we want to get on with what we're talking about. But I mean, A Portrait of a Lady on Fire, uh, if you're looking for a great foreign film, it's out of France. Uh, just a beautiful film. Uh, gut-wrenching as well. So many emotions are felt in that movie. Uh, but yeah, it's just a really a shame that that didn't get nominated last year. Uh, but yeah, just three movies, like we said, Parasite, Another Round, and Portrait of Lady on Fire, just three foreign films really to get on your radar. Uh, I'm sure you know about Parasite, but the other two definitely get on it. Uh, it's great to see how filmmaking differs from country to country and uh, to kind of you know broaden your cinema taste, so to say. Yeah, and we'll definitely have an upcoming episode where we address Portrait of a Lady on Fire, Parasite, and some other really amazing foreign films, just because there's that's a category we haven't talked about on this pod yet. Um, and there's plenty of good stuff to talk about there. So, so be on the lookout for a future episode on that. And that brings us to another film. This one is not a foreign film. This one should be a nominee for Best Animated Feature, and it is a, it is a Disney project. came out uh, early in the year, right as coronavirus was breaking, and it's titled Onward. The plot is two elven brothers embark on a quest to bring their father back for one day, directed by Dan Scanlon, written by Jason Headley, Dan Scanlon, and Keith Bonin. And it stars Tom Holland, Chris Pratt, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, and Octavia Spencer, which is just an amazing cast of voice actors. I wouldn't expect anything less from from a Disney film just because of the money that they have. And and I think Disney itself might have taken a little bit away from this film, but in general, it was a, a really good animated film and the voice acting stood out to me above all else. Yeah, uh this was also Pixar as well. Uh so I mean they had a huge year uh with this and Soul. Uh definitely going to be two nominees. I uh, Soul probably coming in on top. I don't see anything topping that. But uh yeah, just I I loved it. I thought it was a feel good story. Uh obviously, you know, we can't really judge it critically cuz it is, you know, one of those animated features. Uh it's I'd say it it tends more towards the animated kind of story arc than soul did. Uh, but yeah, just super entertaining. Uh, like, like you said, the voice, the voice acting in it was fantastic. Uh, Tom Holland just has a great voice for voice acting. I think, I think if you're going to cast a character as a kid, uh, even though he is what, like 24 or something, uh, Tom Holland is that, uh, just, great voice for voice acting chris pratt as well uh obviously bringing great comedy to any role he's in uh he's wonderful julia lee dreyfus i'm a huge seinfeld fan and just uh hearing her i also love veep as well uh i thought it was great and also just a really creative concept i thought uh just uh with magic and fantasy uh, i think that really lends itself well to animation and, you know, if I if this movie was made in live action, you know, with like humans, not elves, I just don't think it would have had the same effect. And uh, coming out on Disney Plus as well, this was their first feature that they released, I believe. Uh, it was super highly uh, advertised and such. It was, I believe it came out in June or July. Uh, it was actually March. It came out in theaters in March as the coronavirus broke. Um, and then it moved to Disney plus streaming platform shortly after. And, and that's when I got a chance to see it. It's been a while. Um, but, but I, what, what I loved about this film is not only was the animation good and the voice acting was awesome, but there were some deep parallels to like familial themes and, and how to, how that relationship between the brothers 
is developed throughout the movie and kind of grows and and the dad's out of the picture in the film that's not really a spoiler that's kind of put out there from the start but how do the characters deal with that and how do they kind of uh remember the moments they had with him and live up to his legacy so on top of it being an animated film it, it's it's a it can get deep at times and and the the comedy definitely relieves that so in general overall um the film remains exciting throughout and and has this this kind of back and forth between comedy and touching comedy and touching um culminating in a final scene that's that's touching and and brings the movie to an end uh in a peaceful way so so onward yeah that that was just a great movie yeah, uh, like you talked about, the an- I really love the animation in this. I thought they did some really s- cool stuff with it. Uh, the ending scene with the dragon, how it just like conglomerates out of a bunch of material. I thought that was super cool. It looked great again. Uh, I mean, what do you expect from Pixar? They produce great stuff. Uh, and like you said, the themes, uh, that's something that Pixar loves to do with their movies. Uh, most probably biggest is WALL-E. Uh, just like the themes in that really carry the movie. And I think uh, the themes in this really carried it. Like you said, f- familial relationships, uh, sort of having an absent influential figure in your life, uh, something that people can relate to as well. Uh, and just a, a great watch. If you have kids, uh, show them onward. It's a great, easy watch and uh, full of action, laughs, and love. Yeah. So that is uh, Disney Plus's Onward. It's it's a little bit of an older film for 2020 just because it released was released at the beginning of the year um and then and that's that should be a strong contender for best animated feature it it won't win but but it definitely deserves a nomination that brings us to our third movie we're going to talk about unless you have anything else to say Pete uh no that was that was it on onward okay um our third movie is promising young woman which is recently a, a very popular uh, movie. I had the pleasure of being able to see this in theaters a couple weeks ago. Um, a young and the plot is a young woman traumatized by a tragic event in her past seeks out vengeance against those who crossed her path. Uh, written and directed by Emerald Fennel, and you know the cast is a lot of up and comers. Uh, Allison Breeze in this actually, but the all I really wanted to talk about with this movie and and what carries the movie, what is the movie is is Carrie Mulligan. Um, who takes these themes of revenge and on the on a touchy subject of sexual assault and um uh, and some trauma in in her past, and she becomes this badass woman and and takes this movie by storm, takes kind of the world by storm. Recently, um, it's been the most popular feature on Letterbox for the last two or three weeks, and I'd say for good cause because Carrie M- Mulligan is so alluring in this film. Um, yeah. So what comes to mind for, for promising young woman is Carrie Mulligan. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Carrie Mulligan, a fantastic actress. Uh, uh, we've covered her in inside Lewin Davis, which was a great film. I thought she put forth a great performance in that, uh, as well as drive. That's another uh, big one, but you know, I need to see wildlife directed by Paul Dano because she's opposite Jake Gyllenhaal in that. And I, I've heard the acting in that is very, very strong. Uh, but yeah, her her acting carries the movie. Uh, she acts in so many different genres. Uh, she's menacing. She's funny. She's you know cute, and like that's 
that's kind of a mask for what her real purpose is in the movie. Uh, but you know, with this serious subject, uh, I, I didn't really like the candy coated look of the film and feel of the film, uh, just with the soundtrack and stuff. Uh, I know, I know you kind of feel the same way, John, uh, but you know, this is a movie that a lot of people really, really like, and you know, I, I like it a lot, but it's not one of my favorite movies of 2020. Uh, and you know, that's fine. Uh, we all have our different opinions and stuff, but I still like this movie a lot. It was an enjoyable watch. Uh, great performances. Bo Burnham also is in this film doing his Bo Burnham thing. Uh, and also Clancy Brown plays her father. Uh, he's kind of on the rise lately. Uh, he's an actor who's getting more and more roles as he ages. Uh, but like like we talked about, it's a very important topic. Uh, I thought it was a great revenge tale too. And, you know, oftentimes you see revenge for the person who was affected inflicting the revenge. But in this point, it was someone near and dear to her. And you could really feel the passion uh, that Mulligan's character Cassie had uh, for her friend who tragically dies in the film. But yeah, I, I, I liked Promising Young Woman a lot. I thought it was a great watch. And, and the plot definitely unveils as you go. It, it's somewhat of a mystery um, from the start. And, and she uncovers pieces of her past um, that she struggles to deal with, but in the end is her main goal in dealing with uh, these parts of her past and kind of connecting everything and getting revenge on various people. And I thought that that was very interesting. It played out kind of as a suspense thriller, but I definitely agree with you, Pete, that the one weak point of the film if you could call it weak, because it was still a good film in general. But what prevented the film from being more was that kind of candy-coated look that you said, definitely aided by the makeup and hairstyling, which did its goal. It definitely gave that candy-coated look um, a little flair. It kind of reminded me of Suicide Squad and, and Harley Quinn. She she kind of reminded me of like a Harley Quinn type figure, just because she had like the lipstick and, and the makeup was overdone but for a cause. And while she was masking this kind of badass persona, she would wear like these little outfits and stuff. And it, and it, it, it took away from the serious nature of the film. And, and that is the one weak point I would say. Um, although it did provide some entertainment value. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I mean, I, I think Emerald Fennel did a great job of, you know, putting in certain actors to provide comedy to the movie. Uh, since it, it did transverse different genres, uh, Max Greenfield from New Girl, uh, who plays Schmidt, is in this uh, in a comedic role, as well as uh, Christopher Mintz Plaz, who is McLovin. Uh, you see how he aged. Uh, so, you know, there's there's actors in this movie that were put in uh, strategically to do certain things and to communicate sh- certain genres in the movie, because it is one that like another round it's it's hard to really put a genre to this uh until the third act really when there's a sudden crescendo i thought it was a great third act yeah so that is um promising young woman our next film one night in miami pete you want to bring that one up the plot of one night in miami reads one night in miami is a fictional account of one incredible night where icons muhammad ali malcolm x sam cook and jim brown gathered discussing their roles in the civil rights movement and cultural upheaval of the 60s uh, so it's important to note that this is Regina King's directorial debut, uh, obviously an Academy, Academy Award uh, winning actress for If Beale Street Could Talk, uh, but she takes uh, her scene behind the camera this time. Uh, and this 
this movie, One Night in Miami, it was uh, based off a play by Kemp Powers uh, with the same title. And it's starring Kingsley Ben-Adir, Eli Gorey, Aldous Hodge, and Leslie Odom Jr. And it's available on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's a Prime original. It's it's getting a lot of uh, advertisement on TV and stuff, uh, especially this year with the Black Lives Matter movement and the ongoing fight for racial justice in this country. Uh, just taking a look at this moment, which actually did happen. Uh, it wasn't highly documented, but... Uh, I'm not sure if all four of these men met up, but at least three of them met up uh, in Miami after one of Muhammad Ali's victories and they talked and it really gives a good glimpse into what that could have been. Uh, just a fantastic script. Uh, oftentimes when stuff's developed from a play into a movie, the script has to be there and it definitely is in this film. Uh, great directing from Regina King as well. At times I forgot this was a play. Uh so good to see her behind the camera. She's definitely going to do more stuff in the future. And I hope she does uh, on screen as well. I mean, we all love Regina King. She's incredible. Uh, but yeah, just a great, I, I like this movie a lot. Uh, thoughts, John? Yeah, it's it's hard to to take um, a play sometimes and, and, and make it real and, and kind of make it, make it a feature. But, but this was executed very well. Uh, really good, like adapted screenplay. Um, like you said, Pete, and and Regina King is someone that definitely can lend credence to this genre of social justice films. I mean, she's she's starred in some, and she's been probably behind the camera in some form for many others. She is kind of a staple in the industry at this point. It's good to see her now starting to develop her career further as a director. Um, this was Prime's big play on the year. This is their kind of Oscar contender. And, you know, this film, it wasn't the best film of 2020, just because it's, it's hard to take a, just a bunch of characters talking to each other for 100 minutes and, and make it any more than that is. Obviously, the stuff that they're talking about is, is really important for the history of America and, and the world. Um, and if, if this conversation did actually happen, even similarly to to what was portrayed in the film, then this is one of the most important American moments in American history. Um, you have these, these, these great figures, which are sometimes uh, daunting to play, but, but all the acting performances are spot on. They're executed well. And um, this, this film was, was technically um, very sound. And I think that's what keeps it from becoming a bad film. Cause a, this type of film could become bad. Like, like we said, it's, just characters talking for a hundred minutes um but within that framework and within that genre uh they added a they added a flair to it that um i really appreciated and and that's what saved one night in miami for me and that's what made it uh one of my favorite films of 2020 not not top five or anything but but definitely a good 2020 film that's one night in miami and and yeah, and, and like we said, it's on Prime Video. Definitely check it out. Yeah, uh, I just wanted to bring up uh, the... I thought this movie was perfectly cast as well. Uh, Eli Gorey, who plays Muhammad Ali, he has a striking resemblance to Muhammad Ali, uh, I will say, as well as Kingsley Ben-Adir. Uh, I mean, he he really shone in this movie. Uh, I, I haven't heard of him before this film. Uh, and I, I mean, I like how Regina King cast actors, you know, that, you know, you could have put... Denzel Washington as Malcolm X. I mean, sure, he's already played him, but you know, he's a big name. 
it'll sell. But uh, I think she really did a great job of finding these actors who aren't aren't at the top aren't at the top of uh, their careers at this point. Uh, the most famous one of the four probably being Leslie Odom Jr. Uh, and he's popular. He's popular for Hamilton and uh, Broadway. So I think she did a great job of casting the right actors for this. Because, uh, uh, you know, oftentimes studios can kind of stunt cast and they'll say, hey, this actor can sell. But I thought she did a great job of it. Uh, every character in this gets their chance to shine, shows what they got. Uh, and it's crazy because Sam Cooke and Malcolm X actually died a year after within a year uh from the time of the events of the story so it's just uh it's cool to see them uh you know fighting for what they believe in uh so close to their end unfortunately yeah um i I definitely agree with you the actors i didn't really know any of them before this started uh save save for leslie odom jr um but regina king she was honestly the biggest name behind this movie before I watched it. Um, and she was probably the one that sold the most tickets just because she is already accomplished in the industry. But but Leslie Odom Jr., yeah, it was it was cool to see him in one of his big first features. Um and the other actors as well. She she definitely played a role in getting their careers kick started. I'm sure we'll see a lot more from all these guys in the future. Yep, for sure. Uh I, I mean I also love Leslie Adam Jr.'s voice. I as I think he has a very good voice and it was definitely utilized in this, uh playing a singer. So a great, great movie. And I, I'm glad you put me on this one, John, because you know, this was this was one I re- really wasn't gonna watch. Uh but then I saw it was on Prime and I was like, Okay, I have to get on it. And you know, I'm glad we're covering it because it is a very important topic, uh, especially in this year. And uh I think it'll definitely get some love at uh at the academy awards maybe in an adapted screenplay uh nomination or even for regina king for directing yep and and that's that's an important thing i think these types of films need to start being appreciated more um and the academy's doing that but this was definitely the big year for these films and and this was another one that was that was really fabulous so that brings us to um a film that i haven't seen for for a, a long time but but should also get some love come Academy season. It's one of A24's big films of the year, and and it's called First Cow. So the plot is a skilled cook has traveled west and joined a group of fur trappers in Oregon, though he only finds true connection with a Chinese immigrant also seeking his fortune. Soon the two collaborate on a successful business. Um, Directed by Kelly Riker, who is now at this point a staple of A24 directors, Written by Kelly Kelly Riker and John Raymond, uh, who wrote the novel The Half Life, which is, this is based on, and um, yeah, so this is an adapted screenplay, and it's it was a really slow film for me, so I wasn't the biggest fan of the film in general, but but it was the cinematography was beautiful and and the directing was was there. Um, so I can see why this, why a lot of people love this film. I didn't hate it. I thought it was a good film, but but this is another example of how A twenty four year after year is kind of levels above the rest of the industry in producing these low budget films that that do super well. Yeah, uh, this was one that our guest Sam Rosevier talked about. Uh, he loved this film, 
And you know, it's definitely an acquired taste. Uh, First Cow isn't going to be for everyone when you watch it. Uh, It's a little slow, but that's Kelly Reichert's, that's what she does. Her movies are often slow, uh, but I mean, just masterful direction and editing in this one. Uh, Kelly Reichert edited it as well. Uh, I think she's a very unnoticed director who is super skilled. And again, this is just another example of A24 giving, giving directors money and saying, hey, do your thing. And I think she really did it in this film. Uh, just a beautiful film to look at as well uh, in the unconquered Western territory of uh, the U.S., and you know, there's it's it's definitely a film that focuses on the American dream. Uh, we're going to cover another one that does that as well. But uh, just these characters making with what they have and doing their best to prosper in America. And you know, that's the whole frontier mentality. Uh, they went out there to make money, and you see throughout the movie how that goes. And uh, it's just beautiful. It's a very beautiful film, uh, focusing on friendship and entrepreneurship. I'd say. Uh, and it's available on Showtime as well. Uh, so give First Cow a watch. Uh, it's definitely a slow movie, but it's it's a very powerful movie and very pleasing, and you'll feel great after it. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, I don't have that much more to say on this film, just because we, we did kind of already cover it in the first 2020 episode we talked about. Um, it's And it's also been a while since I've watched this, almost a year now. But but first cow, it brings this kind of subtle beauty that I think A twenty four really focused on this year, uh, with this and Minari, that um, that really stands out. And and despite the slow pace, there's an emotional weight to this film that um, that is important. And and it, and it definitely explores an area of of uh, American history that hasn't been explored as of late by many films at all. And that's the kind of frontier life and, and what that was like. The only other one I can think of is the Revenant, uh, which was high, highly popular, but I mean, this definitely takes a different look at it. You know, Revenant was violent and showed the worst things. And, you know, this, I feel like this is way more realistic, you know, I mean, the Revenant is a true story, but this is a lot more realistic and grounded and just masterful i i think just technically this movie is so sound and just beautiful to look at and the score as well super soothing score and i mean kelly Riker. i actually haven't seen any of her movies before this uh but i definitely need to get on it Uh, yeah you're right in a sense because the revenant is a true story and then that is just a phenomenal movie if you haven't seen that but but the the frontier life this kind of pioneering life had a lot of different aspects to it. There was that, there was the fur trapper type life in which um, which things are kind of fast paced and violent and, and you're living by nature. But this was kind of the more civilized side of frontier life. This was the already settled communities um, and, you know, people exchanging and trading and, and figuring out, you know, th- what their money and jobs would be. So, um, yeah, there there were a lot of there were a lot of um realistic portrayals in this film and, and obviously I didn't live in frontier times but it seemed super accurate for the times. And this is based on a book. Yeah, no. I know what you, I know what you mean. Yeah. Uh it's it it's a great film. I I loved it. Uh and I'm looking forward to uh hearing seeing some more of Kelly Record stuff. Uh so the next movie we're going to cover uh 
it's another A24 project. Uh, it, it is in Korean. Most of the movie is in Korean, but it's important to note that this is not eligible to be nominated uh, for Best Foreign Feature as it was produced in America uh, by Plan B, which is Brad Pitt's production company, and it's Minari. So the plot for Minari reads, a Korean family moves to Arkansas to start a farm in the 1980s. Uh, that's that's very brief, but uh, there's a lot more that goes on in this film, uh, directed by Lee Isaac Chung, written by him as well, uh, starring Stephen Yun, Han Ye-ri, Yoon Yoo-jun, and Will Patton, who is the assistant coach in Remember the Titans most popularly. Uh, all of them providing great performances in this movie. Uh, another one that we'll see come awards season uh, pretty heavily. It's just a beautiful film. Uh, another slept on one, I'd say. Not a lot of people know about Minari. Uh, it actually hasn't come out in theaters yet, but we got the chance to watch it, and it definitely dis- didn't disappoint. Uh, this was d- definitely a top five film of the year for me. Uh, I I love how the story focused on every character. You know, it didn't only focus on Yun's character, who would, in, in a typical narrative structure, would be, you know, who what a movie would focus on because he is sort of the patriarch of the family. He's the one uh, moving to Arkansas to to start his dream and become profitable. And you know, it also focused on the children as well, and it was sort of a coming of age story. Uh, this movie was super powerful and had me thinking after uh of just how brilliantly well done this was yeah i said this for first cow and and this takes it to another level this film is all about subtle beauty um the beautiful shots of the arkansas countryside and um the little things in life are, are amplified in this family that that kind of struggles to make their way a little bit and and tries to find their identity as a family and and as koreans in the united states um We'll talk about this later when we talk about our top five uh, films of the year, but this is actually so far my number one film for 2020, and I don't think anything's going to pass it. Um, it's A24 at its finest. It's it's allowing these directors and, and these actors to do their thing um, without any studio control, and I, and I think that's that's an awesome way to, to produce movies. Um, and Minari is an example of how that can just shine. The director might have taken a different approach than most movies. There's not that many super big, exciting plot points. But as a picture, as a whole, this movie does things that um, can only be done through, through, the apo- the appro- through the approach of like a slow, subtle beauty. We talked about this before, but I actually didn't recognize um, Will Patton, who, who I, I saw in Remember the Titans. I, I enjoyed his performance there, but he definitely looks a lot different in this movie and, and plays a lot different of a character. Um, but a character that I could see existing in real life and definitely down South. Yeah. Minari just, just is a, is a great film. It shows the struggles of a family. It shows the beauty of a family. Um, they all become closer as a family. There's, there's uh, strife, but there's also a lot of love and um, it's kind of the big American dream type story in a modern form. Oh, yeah. You also get a glimpse into uh, what life is as a Korean uh, emigrating to the United States, because at this time, a lot a lot of Koreans did that. And just to see the drive that Yun's character has is truly remarkable. Uh, obviously, he's in The Walking Dead, 
But, you know, I could really see this leapfrogging his career in dramatic work as well. I thought he was great, uh, as well as the grandma in the film, Yeon Yu Jun. Uh, I could definitely see her getting a nomination for Best Supporting Actress for her performance here. I thought she did a great job. Uh, she showed every emotion in in a in a very integral part uh, role in the story and the plot. And Minari was great. Uh, just a, I, I wouldn't call it a feel good movie, but just a, another beautiful film. Yeah, and th- and this film hasn't. I don't think it's it's gotten a wide release yet, but um, at critical festivals, everyone's loved this film, and and I think it's on the up and up towards uh, Academy C- C- Award season. I could see it trending definitely in the right direction right now and and i could see it picking up a lot of steam um it deserves a nomination for best picture easily it deserves probably a best cinematography something we haven't talked about yet was the score in my opinion uh one of the best scores of 2020 easily i mean the score was really tender and and really complemented the vibe super well the film uh it wasn't a feel-good movie but it was tender I'll give it that. There were there were a lot of feel good moments within the general struggle of the movie as this family tried to find their way. Um, you're rooting for every character throughout. They all have different things that they want, um, but as the film goes on, you're just kind of hoping they all start to want to want the same things, um, just so they can stay together as a family because they are they are kind of a beautiful family. Um, and and the love is there, and and I think this film does a great job of showing that. So so the film, the stuff that stood out to me was obviously the acting, phenomenal directing, phenomenal the cinematography, top three of the year, maybe the top cinematography of the year, um, and the score, and and all those things worked extremely well together. Yeah, I mean, based off what you just said, John, you know this this might change where it stands in my top five, but. You know, definitely a top five movie of the year for me, uh, as well as most people, again, super critically acclaimed. And, you know, we saw it last year with Parasite, these sort of South Korean stories and, you know, South Korean directors uh, sort of showing what they got. And I think cinema in South Korea is definitely on the rise, and I'm excited to see where it goes. So that's that's uh, A24's Minari, which is, um, which as we just talked about, is one of the best films of 2020 and should should definitely uh, be on uh, be on your watch list if you want to look at 2020 in cinema. Uh, you can't uh, try to imagine that you've seen all the best movies without seeing this one because this is definitely one of the best movies. Um, and that brings us to another big picture heavyweight, uh, a film that's been lauded so much throughout the year and and has been publicized a lot as of late. It's going to be streaming on Hulu starting February 19th. It's getting a theater release next month. Uh, and it's Nomadland. Chloe Zhao, who directed and and wrote some of it and um, edited it and and produced it, she kind of takes over and lets Frances McDormand do her thing in this role about um, a woman who loses everything in the Great Recession and kind of travels throughout the American West. And she lives in a van. And um, we might look down on those people sometimes or whatever society looks down on those people, but it, this film kind of shows that that's a good way to live your life. And there's a lot of positives to that type of life. This, this movie was based on the book, Nomadland surviving America in the 21st century. 
Um, and these people are out there and they exist. And, and, and this is a way of life. Um, this is another kind of American story uh, in 2020. And, and it's just carried by, by Chloe Zhao's master class of editing and direction and producing. And Frances McDormand, who's already won two Best Actress Oscars, is definitely putting her name in for a third. And, and I could see taking a third through this film. Um, I had the pleasure of watching this and like Minari back to back kind of, and, and they are the best two films of 2020 I've seen so far. Um, they should be, that should be the best picture race. Um, that's, but that's no man land. I'll have a lot more to say after Pete says his thing, but just a, just a fantastic movie as well. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's not many movies, uh, placed around the recession. And I think that is a moment in history that is very recent and we can relate to and you just see how it affected so many people uh in the nomads and you know something that stood out to me in this film was you know in her interactions with various characters uh the character of fern Frances mcdormand uh she she meets all these new people and you know you kind of spark a curiosity of how they got there and what their story is because every character in this movie has a story and that's important. And I think Zhao really wants to communicate that with us. And like you said, when when you're the main creative force behind a project, if you produce it, direct it, edit it, yeah, she wrote some of it. It, it really stands as a testament to how talented some people are. And I think Chloe Zhao is someone who is super talented. And I'm super excited to see what she does in the future. I mean, this was a great watch. It was beautiful the landscapes that were shown, the score as well, various camera angles and interesting cinematography. I loved it. I love this film so much. Definitely a top five for me. This is such a jam-packed episode. I'm loving it. We're covering so many great films. And, uh, you know, Nomadland is definitely one that will be on people's radar come award season. It's probably going to, it's going to be a favorite for best picture. I could see it definitely winning. It should win. It's great. Uh, and you know this it's super authentic to this film uh there's a realism that you don't really get with certain movies and uh you know this i think the message that Zhao wants to say is that you know there's beauty in the little things and you know your values there's beauty uh just so much stuff holds beauty and mcdormand's character is very very dynamic and she knows what she stands for and you see that through her performance. She does a great job with it. Yeah, and just to touch on what you said about Chloe Zhao, um, this isn't her first film. She She's already released two films in the, in the previous couple of years that have achieved some critical success, but not to the scale of Nomadland. It, it's, it's very freeing when somebody really gets all creative control over a project, and she didn't disappoint in any aspect of that creative control. Um, this film was, was technically beautiful and, and very sound um every element worked together very well in this film and i'm sure we'll talk about chloe Zhao in the future when i saw that marvel had this director for their upcoming film the eternals which should be released this year chloe Zhao, i was like who who is this but but now that i've seen nomadland i know who it is and i i understand why marvel gave her her own project um she's She's amazing and, and will be a staple of the industry to come. Um, she graduated from NYU and 
definitely has already an accomplished film education and already some good films under her belt. Um, and I could see her winning easily Best Director for, for Nomadland and, and maybe Best Picture in, in what was a down year of cinema in 2020, in my opinion. Nomadland was a film that would normally get the type of love that it's gotten. Um, it, it wasn't a big budget film or anything. It, the only real big name to it was Francis McDormand, like big, big name. Um, and maybe at the beginning of the year, you looked at the stuff that was going to come out in 2020. This film probably didn't stand out that much, but um, it became something so much more. And yeah, it does. It does highlight an underappreciated aspect of the American life. And that's the Great Recession, which uh, I'm sure more films will come out on just because it, it is still a pretty recent event. It takes a while for movies to reflect uh, the times of the United States. Um, and I think the Great Recession will be touched on a lot more in the future. But but just the way of life that's described in this film is something that a lot of Americans kind of don't understand or maybe don't appreciate. But we are born in nature and we are part of nature. And, and it's important sometimes to maybe respect that nature and live in that nature. And that's what these people do. They're not trying to like be renegades or not contribute to society. They're contributing to society in their own way. They're they're trying to live sustainable lives and and appreciate the beauty of the world around us. Um, there's so many inspirational quotes in this in this film and and touching points that life isn't all about working and and trying to uh, live for retirement. It's living while you can live it. Um, and and I think Soul also touched on that and Sound of Metal and some other films this year, but but Nomad Land as a whole took that theme and ran with it. Um and yeah, Frances McDormand just throughout she carries it and she she kind of shows her awakening as she learns this way of the nomads. Um and and I yeah, that Nomad Land was awesome. It's my second best film of 2020, just behind Minari. I wouldn't be, I wouldn't be mad if, if either of those films won Best Picture. I'm rooting for one of those two to win. Yeah, a- as am I. I mean, if if another film besides these two wins, I will be pretty disappointed, just because I think these are, these are the most sound movies of 2021, and really put forth a great message. And I think there's definitely some parallels in Nomadland that you can apply to now. You know, a lot of people from the coronavirus did lose their jobs and not that they're becoming nomads or anything, but, you know, they did lose their jobs. They're kind of in the troughs and, you know, seeing that there is this beauty to life uh, is great to see. And as well as Francis McDormand, uh, another actor that's in this movie is David Strathairn. Uh, He's an actor who's played so many supporting roles throughout the years, but he actually got a nomination in 2005 for best actor for good night and good luck. And I think he does a great job in this film, uh, playing a supporting role that Fern encounters throughout the movie. And, you know, it's, he kind of acts as a foil to Fern's character, uh, in that I, he takes a different path than she does and yet they still get along. And I, I think that's a great, uh, character placement by Zhao uh, just to show the values of Fern as a protagonist. Uh, he's kind of unrecognizable in this film. When I first saw him, I was like, oh, oh shit, that's David Strathairn. But 
that's another that's the only other actor in this film that has another film credit uh, a lot of uh, Zhao implemented a lot of actors that uh, were from the area and around like John said not a huge budget movie but I, I it didn't detract from the film at all uh, you know when sometimes when directors put these like one-time actors in you can kind of tell that they're it's not it's not that good but uh, I mean I don't know if any of these uh, one-time actors are nomads but it really seemed that way uh, there was a realism from the film that is kind of unmatched I'd say yeah, and, and it might sound kind of cheesy to say this, but I I just thought that the budget of this film and, and how successful it was critically kind of reflects that lifestyle um, and how successful that can be for someone's mental health and, and learning about the world around them. Uh, yeah, this film did not have a big budget at all. I don't even know if Frances McDormand got paid because she did produce the movie. Um, she was part of producing it. Chloe Zhao, you know, up and coming director, kind of new passion project. She produced it as well. I doubt she took a paycheck. Um, And there wasn't any big special effects or anything to that extent um, that so many other films throughout history have tried to do. Money doesn't buy a good film. Um, Just as with these nomads, money doesn't buy a good lifestyle. They, They don't have almost any money, any of these people. And yet I'd say they're living more fulfilled lives than almost everyone else in the United States, just uh, based on what this movie portrays. So yeah. And in that way, I think Nomadland shows something important and it shows an important theme, which is that uh, the beauty of the world is already around us. So, and money is not, not, not the key to unlocking that beauty. It, it's, it comes within it comes from within and um Chloe Zhao just she showed that with yeah that kind of real realism level that that uh is really extremely rare and and extremely extremely rare I'm saying I, I haven't seen a film like this in years all right so that was Nomadland uh a big contender for best picture could easily say, see it taking the cake come April uh so now we're going to do an updated top five list. So two two weeks ago, uh, we did a list with our guest Sam Rosevere, and that those were just films that we had seen. Uh, but now we feel that we've seen enough of 2020. Obviously, there's still some uh, projects that we haven't watched that are great. Uh, but I, with our last episode of the trilogy of covering 2020 movies, uh, we wanted to just do an updated 2020 list. Uh, so we'll go back and forth. John, you do your fifth. I'll do my fifth and so on. So you can start us off, John. Yeah, I just wanted to start this by saying it, it's really amazing how far we've come since the a couple of weeks ago when we did our top five lists. Since then, we've dedicated our uh, time and resources to trying to see almost every film that was going to be a contender for any big award. And I think that we've really done a good job of doing that. So kudos to you, Pete, for uh, grinding out all these films over the past weeks or so. And kudos to me as well for doing that. But now my top five looks way different than it did a couple weeks ago. In fact, only two of the films that I had in it a couple weeks ago that were my top two are still in the list. Um, And that brings me to my number five, which we addressed early in the episode. It's our hidden gem of the week. 
another round. So my number five, uh, this was one that I had on my list uh, two weeks ago, but it was much higher at that time. Uh, Number five for me is Pixar's Soul. Yes, that's a good one. Um, Number four for me was Spike Lee's Defy Bloods, which we've already talked about, but that was was a fantastic movie as well. Uh, So my number four is Nomadland, uh, what we just covered. I know that seems a little low, but... Uh, I I definitely have a an interesting taste in movies, and I know what I like and I know what I don't like. I mean, not that I didn't like Nomadland; it was a great film. Uh, but you know, there were just some other films in 2020 that were more for me. Yeah, you know, Pete, I'd say um, I don't think it's a little low because if Nomadland is is in everyone's top five of the year, it doesn't matter if it's four, three, two, one. Then that's the staple of a successful movie. I mean, clearly this was a a fantastic movie. With with these great movies, sometimes it's it's really hard to rank them, and I struggled to rank them, um, just because there's slight differences, and they're way different in how good they are, um, and what they do beautifully, and that's why, that's why I would say that No Man Land at four for you is still indicates that you love the movie. So uh, my number three was was your number five, Pixar Soul. Uh, I'd, I'd say one of the best animated features to come out in a while. Yeah, definitely. Uh, so for number three for me, we covered it today. Uh, it's Minari. Again, just a beautiful film that I think accurately depicts the American dream and the highs and lows of that and sort of a journey of a family. Uh, definitely. My number two was Nomadland. And my number two, uh, it was our hidden gem this week. It's Another Round. Uh, again, just a great film that I think is going unnoticed uh, by an American crowd. But I mean, definitely get on it if you want a great story that transverses a lot of genres and has a a really powerful message, I'd say. And that brings me to my number one, which I already said was uh, Minari, my top film of the year. I totally respect that decision, John. Uh, Again, Minari is a great film. Definitely go watch it. Uh, It's having a wide release soon. Uh, But my number one has remained unchanged. Uh, it's Darius Martyr's Sound of Metal. Uh, I just, I love this film, man. It was just so great. Uh, Wait, I didn't even have Sound of Metal. I, I have that as a 2019 film because that's when it was technically released. Oh, Pete. Uh, I mean, we did cover it for the 2020 episode. Uh, so- All right. I, if, if, if it was in my top five, I'm not going to do it right now, but, but Sound of Metal would be in my top five for the year. What, what number would it be? Mm, either one or two it would either be in front of minari or, or slice between minari and and nomadland all right uh so yeah it's sound of metal that was an awesome movie yeah uh just a great film uh led by riz ahmed's powerful acting uh i could see i he might win uh we don't know but i could still see chadwick boseman coming out on top from Mari's black bottom uh just off what happened uh but yeah, Riz Ahmed really carries this with a great story to accompany it and just a beautiful film, beautiful feel-good film uh, that has its highs and has its lows. And I, I'm excited to see what Darius Martyr does in the future. I completely agree with you, Pete. Uh, yeah, check out Sound of Metal once again. Uh, and that should be on Prime Video. So that brings us to the end of our kind of lovey-dovey section of the episode. We've had a really good conversation, I'd say, over the past hour or so about 
the last couple of films that stood out to us for 2020 and maybe a little bit of Academy Awards predictions in there. And now that that brings us to uh, a different segment, unless you wanted to say anything else, Pete. No. Yeah. I just wanted to say, uh, you know, in a gear that has been characterized with such, it's been on a downward slope, you know, 2020 people are calling it like the worst year or whatever. Uh, you know, there are still some films that have come out that are wonderful and, you know, kind of distract you from what's going on around us in the world and, you know, provide some great beauty. Uh, there were definitely some movies that came out in 2020, Minari, Nomadland, First Cow came out in 2019, but a wide release in 2020, uh, just beautiful. And, you know, that's what we need. We need some beautiful cinema, uh, especially at a time like now. Yeah. And, and normally every year there's the big action movies and, and maybe a war film or two that are, you know, big budget movies do well in theaters and get nominations, sometimes win like best picture and stuff. This wasn't one of those years. This year allowed for the more subtle and the more beautiful films to stand out a lot more pieces on life and the meaning of it. And I really appreciated that. And what was a down and what I've called a couple times a down year for cinema. I will stand by that in general it was a down year for cinema, obviously, but. But uh, cinema also did show up this year. There were there were some fabulous films. Anyway, that got off my main point, which was. Uh, bringing us into this next section just because we need to bring you guys down a little bit and we need to bring ourselves down. Um, It's going to be our fiery feces flick of the week. An example of how remaking a really good movie can go horribly wrong. And that is Disney's live action remake of Mulan, which I would recommend you don't see at all. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I, I, after watching this, I, said to my friend hey this one of my good friends hey this is a this is a bad movie don't watch mulan and he said yeah it, it ruined it for me uh he was someone who the first film was one of his favorites uh growing up and you know it's it's unfortunate that you know this new generation this is their mulan now and it just disappointed in all aspects i think uh you know, Dis- Disney is getting into this thing with the live action remakes, Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, uh, The Lion King. And, you know, it, it really is not paying off. Uh, like like a lot of the other films, the remakes don't have the charm that uh, the originals had. And Mulan is a great case of that. Uh, I think this movie lacked a lot of emotion. Uh, I thought it was edited pretty very poorly. Uh, and the CGI was was pretty rough at times, uh, which you wouldn't really expect from Disney uh, because they do put a lot of time and money into this. Uh, but yeah, the script was pretty standard, uh, something you could probably get off a high school screen writing class. Uh, and, you know, the big thing with Mulan is the songs. Uh there's I'll make a man out of you and reflection. Those are probably the two biggest ones. And this movie didn't have any of those. This was not a musical in the slightest. They used those songs as part of the score, however, but that was a big thing from the first movie that really made it for me. And seeing this just really made me mad. And it's, it's very Disney to do this. I will say Uh, you can definitely tell that Disney had put their hand in this and, you know, this was one that was going to release in theaters, but they put it on Disney Plus for thirty dollars, 
And I mean, I really feel bad for the people who paid $30 for this. I agree completely with everything you said, Pete. But the one thing you did say that I wouldn't agree, agree with in a different context is that you said it didn't pay off for Disney. Unfortunately, these projects have been paying off for Disney, at least financially. And that's why they keep doing them. Um, and with each one of these films that come out, I lose respect uh, for Disney as a whole. My respect is already kind of low for them. It's clear that it's just to make money. There was no other reason to make this film. The the first Milan was was just great on its own, and and it's famous for the music and and a bunch of great aspects um, that they decided not to go with in this film. It's like they didn't even try to make a a decent film. They had they had a white lady from New Zealand direct a Chinese martial arts film, and and the leading up to the film it was lauded as like she knows china she studied china she's going to reflect chinese culture this did not seem like a reflection of chinese culture in the slightest released for 30 dollars are you kidding me i mean at least thankfully it wasn't released in theaters because i might have gone to see it just because i liked the first one i'm so upset i'm very upset with disney yeah uh the thing with the 30 dollars is that was to buy it and have it forever and, you know, that's a shame. Like, sorry if you still own this movie. Uh, but, I mean, obviously now it's available on Disney Plus if you want to give it a watch. But I mean, if you have the Disney Plus subscription, you have it forever now, right? Yeah, yeah, now you do. But at the time, uh, they had they had stalled the Disney Plus wide release, so to say, where it was just the subscription fee. Uh, but, yeah, I... I mean, obviously, it did pay off for Disney. Disney makes money on all their projects. They're Disney. They have a name associated with them that usually means greatness, but this one definitely did not. Uh, you know, Donny Osmond singing I'll Make a Man Out of You, That that's one of my favorite moments from the first film. Well, I don't think there were any songs in this. No, no, there weren't any songs. I mean, even The Lion King, Aladdin, and... Beauty and the Beast. They had songs. Uh, I mean, they did cut some or change some from the original movies, which take it how it is. It, it's good or bad. But this, there's just the lack of music in this really made me so angry and livid because the music from Milan is so beautiful and peaceful and reflects the plot so well. And they just chose not to do it. Just this has become kind of a rant against Disney live actions in general. It's one of my biggest issues with the industry right now and then the company. Um, Disney has taken like they have so many resources and some so probably a lot of really creative minds in there. But instead of making new movies and, and doing exciting things, they've decided to dedicate a, a decent amount of their budget and time to making these live action remakes and call them what they are. They're all kind of trash because they're based on stuff that was good. That's already hard to top stuff that was really good animated. Um, And, you know, John Favreau did the Lion King, the jungle book. Those are okay. Some other stuff, even Aladdin thought was like generally okay. It's fine. But there's at least some music. There's some elements to the, to the movies that, that uh, gave me some entertainment value. Mulan had none of those and it could be uh pointing in a scary direction for these disney live action remakes um they yeah opted not to do the music 
but they opted to really not incorporate anything that was cool in Mulan, including some of the supporting characters and some of the comedy that was in the original. Like Eddie Murphy's Mushu, like that, that was not in this film either. Nothing. It's not even Mulan. I, I don't even look at it as Mulan, and that's the one saving grace for me. Um, it's hard for me to look at it as, as a butchering of Mulan just because it wasn't even Mulan. Like the only similar thing between those movies was that it's a girl who, who poses as a guy to fight for her country or whatever. Um, nothing similar other than that, really. Uh, and, and so in that way, I'm, I'm at least thankful I never paid. I, I just had Disney Plus and I waited for it to get wide release or whatever. And I watched it and yeah, it was a waste of time. Um, I won't get that time back, as I've said, for a couple of these Fiery Feces flicks. But um, but at least I didn't waste any money on it because I would have already had Disney Plus for The Mandalorian anyway. Um, it, it, it's, it's seriously a shame to me. And it might not be as technically bad as some of the Fiery Feces stuff we've talked about, um, like Money Plane and, and, and like UB Halloween and stuff. Um, but all of those films I liked more than this one, just because this one was so frustrating to see how many resources and, and, and the original film that they could have made this similar to. Um, that they just didn't opt to do. And it seemed like they were just trying to cut corners and save money. And and that's a damn shame to me. Um, of all these these films, that a lot of them are bad, but but this one takes the cake in, in the sense that it frustrates me the most. It's just a complete lack of, of respect for movies or even trying. Yeah, and I mean, there are a lot of movies that come out of China that did the same thing that this Mulan did that are a hundred times better. And there's, and you know, I don't like how they tried to do, do that Disney. I think they should have stayed true to the original Mulan that was super successful and people love. And I I really think that they need to take a better look at these directors and where they want to go with the story. Uh, Because I, I know if this was my generation's Mulan looking back on it, when I'm older, I would be super upset. Uh, And I don't want any kid out there to for this to be his or her Mulan. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I could have called it from day one. You're really going to put a white lady from New Zealand in to try to direct an Asian martial arts movie with really no experience in the genre either. It, it, it didn't make any sense to me. Um, and maybe they just wanted to use a female director. There's plenty of good Chinese female directors um, or even competent female directors in the United States that could try to remake Milan. Um, they opted not to use any of the freaking elements that made Milan good. And everyone knows that those are the elements that make Milan good. And they did, they didn't use any of them. And it, it makes me, <laughs> makes me mad with Disney. Um, <laughs> they released stuff like soul. And then this, it just, why there's such a parody. There's no consistency. They aren't consistent in what they what they're putting out uh, in terms of like animation and the remakes and stuff. And I mean, this was definitely the worst live action remake that I think Disney has put out. Uh, I, I enjoyed Lion King and Aladdin as well as Beauty and the Beast, but I mean, this is this is another level of bad. Uh, and like you said, I 
I'm mad that I won't have that time back where I was watching this. Yeah, those films are the other live action remakes. They weren't phenomenal, but and I already was a little displeased with the notion of of the live action remakes, um, just because the first films are already good, but but they like I said offered entertainment value and and had some big names and some good songs and stuff. Um, this had none of that. This was awful. Um, I feel like the people at at Disney, like if there's some big building that they all work in, maybe this person was like working in the basement in like the back corner um, where no one was able to interact with her or overlook her work. And I'm just talking about the director. There were a lot of poor decisions from a lot of people uh, on this movie, but um, like the screenwriter, maybe even they were working, they were working in the basement and, and, I'm sure had no one oversee their project and they're just like, Oh, this is really good. This is really good. And got themselves hyped up. Um, I, did Disney, did the uh, marketing people even see this movie before they uh, put so many ads out about how good it was and, and how good it was going to be and put the buzz out there. Do you think anyone even saw this movie before that? I mean, it, it, they had to, it's, it's, it's a huge movie, but so it's pandering just to make money. Yeah, I I really That's think all. it is. Uh but they literally don't care about the world of movies. There's four writers. That that also that automatically is a red flag for me. Uh because you know the writing in this was super inconsistent, I thought. And there were some lines that just didn't have to be there and I'm so mad at Disney for making this because I also think it's pretty unnecessary. Uh because Mulan did come out in the original Mulan came out in 1998, which I, I think is uh, close enough that we don't have to make a remake. And I didn't think there needed to be a remake because Mulan is one of the better Disney animated ones, I'd say. And I just think it's super unnecessary. And this movie is devastating. In general, though, I just want to look back on this episode quick before we cut it off and and just say I appreciate the conversations I've had with you, Pete. Um and the films, all of the films, save for Mulan that we talked about today, are all fabulous and uh, put 2020 in a lot better of a light for me uh, than than a, a movie like Mulan shows. Thankfully for companies like A24 and, and foreign films and and people like Chloe Zhao and Francis McDormand and all those people out there, Spike Lee, Aaron Sorkin, even Netflix to some extent, uh, they've saved what could have been a big year of like stuff like Milan. Um, and they've, they've made 2020 a unique year for movies. And um, I'm really grateful for that. And I appreciate that. I think this was an awesome episode and I enjoyed the conversation we had um, a lot of good stuff we covered. I don't want to end it on a bad note, you know? And, you know, thank you for listening. Uh, hopefully we gave you some 2020 films that you want to get on your radar. Uh, again, if you don't have access to these films, please email us. Uh, we can give you some various outlets to watch them. Uh, so in the upcoming weeks, we're going to start getting into more directors and sort of genre films, uh, kind of like what we did for our first few episodes, uh, just because 2020, the films that came out in 2020 are kind of coming to a close. Uh, and we just want to get some more films on your radar. Uh, tell us a little of what we'd like. Uh, what you might like. If you have any questions, please email us splash us cinema pod at Gmail. Yeah. Um, and uh, on top of what Pete said, we will be continuing to cover WandaVision 
in the same context that we would cover the Mandalorian every week. Um, I think that that's like kind of the big show right now uh, that we're interested in. So we'll probably address each episode uh, of that as well. Um, and this might not be the end for 2020 because I'm sure before the Academy Awards, we we could talk about some more films that that might that we might not have addressed that that get some love from the Academy. But for now, uh, I think we've done a good job wrapping up 2020 in cinema. As movies come out, uh, we will definitely cover them. Uh, and if you want to hear our, our coverage on it, just email us what movie you'd like to cover. We're happy to listen to our fans, our listeners, and we appreciate uh, list- you listening. I mean, we did this just to have a conversation uh, because we're two cinema lovers and glad you can hear it. Yep. So thank you for listening to this week's episode of Splash of Cinema. Uh, signing off, I'm John. I'm Pete. Have a good one.